Y'all want to talk O-line? We're going to talk O-line. We're going to talk O-line for the entire show because Mason Cole, Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury have been the, the interior for two games now, and they've been a two good games. I think some things have improved. Stick with me here on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Brom. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Brom NFL. Shows on Twitter at Locked On Vikings, and this episode is brought to you by Stance Apparel. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. Today on the show, it's going to be a guards day, and I guess center too, but it's going to be an interior day. Let's talk about the big boys up front. Um, not necessarily the tackles, of course. Brian O'Neill, not much ambiguity, and the last couple games have been Oldie Udo at left tackle. Obviously, that's not going to stay the same way. Uh, hopefully, we can get Christian Derisaw back from Monday Night Football against Chicago, but we're in a weird no-man's land where we're pretty far removed from the Thursday night game, but we're still pretty far away from the Monday night game, so let's take stock a little bit and talk about one of the chief issues of the Vikings for years and years and years guards and centers and the interior of the offensive line and they kind of balled in the last couple of games it's kind of wild and i want to go through each of the three players that are a part of that i want to go over ezra cleveland mason cole and garrett bradbury i also have this in article form if you prefer you can find that at zocoverage.com but hear me out here um they've been good and this should be the configuration i might even consider taking it into next year like they've been just un- like no caveats good uh, and that rocks. <laughs> it's weird to feel that way, but I kind of feel that way. So let's start. Uh, let me start, I guess, with Mason Cole, who's been the this source of quite a bit of um, drama, I guess, over the the shuffling that the, the offensive line has done. Of course, you know, we started out with, with Rashad Hill at left tackle. He gets replaced. Garrett Bradbury goes on COVID. Mason Cole takes over. Then Mason Cole moves over to right guard when Oli Udo has to take over for Christian Derrissaw, which is in itself an interesting decision that it wasn't Rashad Hill again, but it was Udo this time. I maintain what I said yesterday on Twitter Tuesday. I still agree with that. Um, I still think that Oli Udo is a better option. He hasn't been great over there at left tackle by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he's been better than Rashad Hill. Although, I mean, I don't know. We're kind of comparing a couple of poop sandwiches, <laughs> but, uh, on the interior, Ezra Cleveland has been a fixture. You have Garrett Bradbury back at center and now Mason Cole at, at, at right guard. And this configuration has worked. So let's start with Mason Cole, who has been a, I think, him at guard worked out exactly how we all thought it would. Um, Nick Olson did a piece way back when the Vikings traded for him back in, I think it was March. Um, when he came in as a much maligned center from the Arizona Cardinals. If you're a big PFF grades person, he graded out worse than Garrett Bradbury and PFF probably hates Garrett Bradbury the most out of everybody. And they hated this guy more. So it was, uh, Definitely, he was not supposed to be the starting center, right? And he starts at the, as the backup center, and there's never really a camp competition for that, right? But a lot of people said, well, wait, he should be a guard. And let me explain to you why. Think about the mechanics of center for a second, of playing the center position. you got to hike the ball. You have to snap the ball, and that takes a beat, right? It takes a beat to get 
your hand is on the ball, it has to snap it and then come up and then like get involved in the actual pass protection or run block or get involved in your technique. But that hand is going to be late every single time because it has to snap the ball. There's nothing you can do about that. And defenses know that. And so nose tackles will often attack the snap, the dominant shoulder of the center because that hand's going to be late. So if you just line up right on that shoulder and go attack it, just just fly off the ball and hit it, you're going to win the hand battle a lot, and that's going to make the center's block a little bit hard. And so something that they'll teach, like high school centers, is to use their offhand to um, kind of throw out like a preemptive punch. If you're going to come at my off shoulder, or if you're going to come at my dominant shoulder, I'm going to use my other hand to hit you and at least try to buy myself some time so that my dominant hand can get back into the fold. And this is all, I mean, light speed stuff. This is split second. As quickly as your hand can get in, it can get in. But you still need to buy yourself that, that, that beat, that split second. Um, Mason Cole wasn't doing that. Uh, and that led to, if, if you remember, when he started at center against the Packers, do you remember the first play where, where Kenny Clark bowled him over and got a big giant TFL? Um, that I think was the cause of that, that Kenny Clark attacked that shoulder and, and was able to do so unimpeded because Mason Cole just didn't quite have that technique. And he is just generally like latent to build his house, to get his stances up. His hands are late and in the interior when it's an Oklahoma drill, I mean, it's just two big dudes coming at each other and who's going to win, right? It's a physical thing. Whoever gets their hands on you first on their hands on the other guy first is going to win the rep like a lot of the time. Whoever strikes first will win. And so as a center, you have to be attack. You know, you have to be aggressive. Pass pro isn't passive, as it were. And run blocks even less. Run blocks are even less passive. At guard for Mason Cole, and this was kind of the thesis, and I think we've seen it bear out, uh, at guard, Mason Cole doesn't have to worry about snapping the ball. So he can just, I mean, he can start the rep with his hands in the air if he's in a two-point stance. Um, and he can just have him right there, right there, right next to you. It's a skill he does not have to do. It's a skill he had not developed, and it's a skill he does not have to develop if he stays at guard. So why not just keep him at guard? He can be an emergency center or backup center or whatever. If Garrett Bradbury gets hurt, you can slide him back over. Sure, whatever, right? That's never going to be an ideal plan. But at right guard, if you compare Mason Cole as an option to Ole Udo... Like once Derisaw gets back to you, move Oli Udo back. And I don't think anybody wants to, right? But if you compare those two things, and let's check our work on that, Oli Udo has some tackle to guard problems, some similar stuff that Ezra Cleveland has. So we'll talk about that when we get to him. Um, but you can get rid of those problems. Mason Cole knows the interior. He's played plenty of guard before. He played it plenty in Arizona. And those were his best games anyway. So there was evidence of this. Um, and the Vikings have now figured it out. I guess better late than never, obviously. And you kind of wish they had gotten there before instead of having all these really terrible things happening with, with Ole Udo at right guard. Um, but considering the camp that Ole Udo had, I'm pretty sympathetic to them like letting that kind of run its course. Um, either way, they've found, uh, I think, a home for Mason Cole to the point where, I think I said this on yesterday's show as well, I'd extend him, man. I, I would give him I'd give him more than a year. Honestly, I would not just do one year deals to the cows go come home. I'd give him two, three year deal and let him be the right guard for a while. Um, I think he's earned that in the two game. If if he keeps it up, right, he could come out next week, have a total disaster game. And then one of his three games as right guard would be a disaster. And that would change the texture of this a lot. But just watching the games against the Lions and Steelers here. It doesn't seem like it seems like he's just good at the position, like good enough to be a starter at the position. Um, and I think you got to keep that guy in house no matter who takes over. Right. 
um, because he's not, it's not like he's a crazy scheme specific guy or anything either. Uh, I think he's just a guy you should probably keep in the house. I think they found one here. Uh, before we move on to the other guys, a quick note, uh, the COVID thing is still kind of ripping through the Vikings. Um, they're going on another wave. The whole NFL is, is suffering from this. There's like 75 players going on the COVID IR list. Um, among those for the Vikings on, uh, Tuesday were Dee Westbrook. And then a couple of guys on the practice squad, Tristan Jackson and AJ Rose, as well as Daniel Hunter, who it doesn't make much of a material difference, but just so you know, um, the active player among all those guys, Dee Westbrook is vaccinated. So if his, uh, case is asymptomatic, he's got a decent chance to play on Monday night. So we'll have to monitor that. Um, and the same thing I think goes for Dan Chisina. And uh, but not for Alexander Madison, who went out on on Monday. He has to miss the 10 days. So he'll, ha- he'll have to miss uh, Monday Night Football. So that's something that we all have to keep an eye on. Everybody is dealing with this. It's hitting the Vikings just as hard as it's hitting everybody else. It's just, uh, you know, winter holiday season. It's just kind of kind of be the wave, I think, and how this this sort of thing goes. So we're going to get to Garrett Bradbury. We're going to get to Ezra Cleveland. Uh, but. Look, Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away. And On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL, is the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences, featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star LA hotels, and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl On Location. That's onlocationexp.com SB56 or search Super Bowl On location. Let me also talk to you about apparel. In 2009, Stance was founded and they wanted to revolutionize the way we think about like socks and underwear and active wear. They have a sharp focus on comfort and quality and creativity. They have all sorts of fun designs from all your favorite pop culture brands like Star Wars or whatever. And that's like important, right? That's part of it. Like what you wear is how you express yourself. And it's important not to overlook that even with something like your socks, put fun designs on them. They look good. They feel good. They're like form fitting to your feet. They're made out of a comfortable fabric. They're socks made with some common sense instead of just trying to huck out as many as they can as cheaply as possible. Stance believes in a certain degree of quality. The perfect fit matters more than fitting in and those who feel good do good. So See for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and get 15% off of your first purchase. Use promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, at checkout to apply. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. Thank you once again for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. Let's talk about, let's do uh, Ezra Cleveland now. Uh, So Ezra Cleveland is a tackle playing guard. That's the key here. And I'm going to teach you a couple things that uh, about guard play that like, awkwardly translate from being a tackle and here's the thing that i'll say all this stuff i'm about to describe he has gotten visibly better at in the last couple of games i don't think that's like a chemistry thing with being next to Oli udo instead of jared or anything like that i think he's just getting more comfortable at the position he's now in his second year and it's starting to be a little bit more routine for him he's seems to be like his long-term future is as a guard he's not going to be a tackle they just took one in the first round and then they extended the other one he does not have a future at tackle in the Vikings organization. So he is going to stay a guard. And I think he's sort of settling into that and starting to get those habits down. But to get into detail about that, I have to explain what the problem was. And I've explained some of this before, but basically tackles a timing game, especially in pass pro and run blocking. There's enough overlap between tackle and guard 
Um, and honestly, in run blocking, Ezra Cleveland was never that was like he was very strong in run blocking kind of all year, especially in the second level, pulling out, kicking out and stuff like that. He's been great at that. But in pass blocking at tackle, it's a timing game. Think about an edge rusher coming. If you throw your hands up early, he's going to swat them out of the way. You're going to be dead to rights. And if you throw him up late, he just comes right through you. So you have to time your punch. You have to time your hands to engage at the proper time. And that's a skill that requires some timing and some feel. And it's like one of the challenges of playing tackle at guard. There is no such timing game. And so when you get tackles that move to guard, their hands can be late a lot. And we've seen this with a lot of tackles that have moved inside to guard. Mike Remmers in particular comes to mind, probably Charlie Johnson, though I, I wasn't watching football as closely back in 2014. Um, but he was another tackle that moved into guard. Um, but that's why I'm like always kind of not a fan of moving tackles into guard necessarily. Um, Oli Udo's problem took a different uh, texture, and we're not talking about him today. But with Cleveland, it was kind of the same thing. His hands would be late. He would wait for players to come, you know, and defensive tackles to come. But defensive tackles aren't sitting there and setting up moves. Um, and if they are, you probably gave them too much room because of a problem that I'll talk about in a second. But for the most part, the toughest thing you're going to have to do is like stop a 330 pound guy that's that's flying off the ball and coming straight into you. To do that, you have to be aggressive. You can't be backing up into that and giving up some momentum already at the point of engagement. you got to meet that guy. And with somebody like Ezra Cleveland, who's very strong, he's got sand in his pants, crazy athletic, you should be able to meet that guy. And he's being a little bit more aggressive on that. He's been using that preemptive arm, not unlike center technique. You know, it's not because you're snapping. It's just because, you know, he's got a long arm and he can use it. Um, but he can kind of use that arm to thwart somebody's initial punch or somebody's initial rush. And if he, he's been coming out with it a little bit faster when he's waiting for guys to come, his pass pro is too passive and guys can sort of set him up or just come aggressively into him. And then his hands are late and he's lost the rep. The other thing is he was setting a little too deep and it's another tackle thing. If you think about when you're the tackle in most protections, you have to set at a certain depth that is relative to the quarterback's drop back depth. If the quarterback drops back eight yards, you know, you have to kind of defend all eight of those yards. And if you can get the edge rusher to go nine yards upfield and go around and behind the quarterback, every quarterback in the world will take that, right? That's a win for you if you can just redirect that guy. So you have all eight yards to defend, and that means you have to drop with some depth to, to defend all eight of those yards. Well, at guard, you're not defending anybody up and around the edge. All you have to defend is the area between the center and the tackle. And so when you drop with a lot of that depth, well, then that area suddenly goes from a two dimensional space to a three dimensional space. And you give a big guy that much room to work. And then suddenly they are setting up swim moves and spins and all sorts of random stuff on you. And it kind of turns into the spacing and dynamicism of an edge rushing challenge mixed with the beef of a de defensive tackle and you get the worst of both worlds when you set too deep like that and cleveland had been doing that well he's flattened things out a lot in, in the steelers game in t in particular he flattened out a lot and it really helped him because it made those engagements come faster that meant that he gets rewarded for making his hands faster and everything just starts to get a little more comfortable he is starting to play more like a guard instead of playing like a tackle out of position. And if that can continue, that would be awesome. Again, he's on a hot streak right now and hot streaks can cool off. So all this stuff has to continue. But I really like what I've seen from him in the last few games, even in, I think it was the Packers game where he had a particularly poor performance. 
Um, even taking that one into account, the last kind of string of games have been really, really positive on the whole for Ezra Cleveland, kind of more than the other two guys. Cleveland's the one that has, has like really won me over the most. And I started really, really low on him earlier in the year. I want to talk about Bradbury at center and some of the things that have changed about his play, or at least some of the things that I think are more noticeable now, especially since we're watching centers so very close this, these, these days. Uh, but first, let me talk to you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. It's the holiday season makes for a perfect stuffing stocking stuffer because it is like a candy bar. It is covered in 100% chocolate. Absolutely delicious. They even have like a marshmallow kind. It's called Built Bar Puff, and it's like marshmallow on the inside. It's like a chocolate covered like marshmallow treat. It's delicious. It's low sugar, low calorie, uh, high protein, high fiber, low fat, low carb, and it tastes like a candy bar. Satisfy the cravings. Have your cheat day without actually having to cheat on a day. And at built.com, you can enter promo code LOCK15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, all one word, to get 15% off of your next order at built.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Okay, the PS de resistance, my Garrett Bradbury takes, always going to be a fun time. So for those who haven't been following the show, I've sort of stuck by Garrett Bradbury over the struggles that he's had. But let me be perfectly fair with him, right? Let me take all the context away, all the priors, all the everything, right? And just be perfectly frank about Garrett Bradbury's play. He had two really, really bad games before he went on COVID IR against Dallas and then before the bye against Carolina were two pretty rough outings for him. Um, before that, I thought he was fine. And coming back after that, I think he's had two really, really good games at center. That's the season I think that he has had. Um, you know, take it for whatever that is. But in the last couple of games, there's a couple things that I notice are different and they're really, really subtle. So the, the problem of Garrett Bradbury, a lot of people say he's just not that strong. And it's weird because he has enough of an understanding of leverage where that can not matter. He can make that not matter. Um, but he doesn't do that often enough. And part of it is because his pass sets are very wide. He has very, very flexible legs. And that gets him a lot of great stuff when he's reach blocking and doing run block, run block stuff. And in pass block, it gets him squatting like a sumo wrestler. And that's not much of a base for accepting contact. And that's a problem he has. He just sets really wide. Now, when he sets that wide, it can kind of help him be just a wider presence. So it's more difficult for nose tackles to get around him. And you don't get stuff like his rookie debut against Grady Jarrett, which I'm sure is seared into all of our brains. Uh, but the problem with that, and you, you can look at, in the article that I wrote, you can look at a, a, a rep against the Panthers that went kind of viral that I think shows this really well, where his his foot will fly so far outside of his frame that it's no longer a base to actually drive off of. So if he gets faked at all, and this is just a head fake from, I believe, a blitzing linebacker that isn't like, it's nothing special. It's just a head fake, but it gets him to swing his leg way out to the moon. And then when the rusher turns the other way, 
Bradbury can't drive on that leg because it's so far. It's, he's doing the stanky leg and it's not, there's no base off of that. He can't put any weight on that. His leg is too far out of his frame. Against the Steelers, something similar happened where he got head faked by Alan McNeil this time. So not quite as agile, right? It's a true nose tackle, but he got beat outside of his frame. He got the guy crossed his face and that's losing for a center. So his leg still swung way outside to the wrong way. But what he did is he actually dragged his toe, brought it back into his frame, drove on it and, and recovered and won the rep. And look, for O-line, recovery is everything. Because as an offensive lineman, I don't care if you're Marshall Yonda or Joe Thomas or, or Quentin Nelson, you are going to get beat off the snap sometimes. There are some moves that defensive linemen do that you just, it would be irresponsible to set yourself up to beat them. And you're going to be in a desperate, I need to make a comeback situation. It happens multiple times a game to every single lineman, always bar none, no matter what. Um, and how you recover in those situations sort of separates the men from the boys. Going back to Mason Cole for a second, Mason Cole has recovery. That dude has grit, and he is never out of a rep, and I think that's something that really endears me to him, probably more than it should. I probably overweight that when it comes to evaluating O-line, but it just wins me over when he does that, and he does that a good amount. He did it at center, too. Um, and so seeing Bradbury do that also kind of won me over. When you put all these guys together, and you have um, this sort of more aggressive, faster playing line, and Bradbury's doing it uh, faster as well. They've flattened out their protections a lot against uh, the Steelers, which is interesting because the Steelers presented a lot of the same fronts that Carolina did. And if you watch the Carolina protections, they would make a pocket and they would kind of wrap back like you would like curl back like a like a true pass protection pocket, but they would back up off of it. And that gives Kirk Cousins less room against the Steelers. Very similar fronts, but I guess they were expecting different pass rushes or maybe it's just an adjustment they've made because it seems to help everybody on their team. Um, they flattened it out a little bit more. It's not like a true pocket backing up. They are meeting players at the line of scrimmage and that gives Kirk Cousins a little bit more time. Even if you lose the rep, Cousins is just further away, right? And it's the same dropbacks and stuff. Shotgun, three-step drop, eight-yard drop back. But an eight-yard drop back is a better move when the line is at the line of scrimmage versus when they are setting up two yards back. I'd rather have eight yards of space and six yards of space. So all of that is really helping all of these guys. And they're playing really well on, on top of all of that. And um, what you can then kind of see is when Bradbury does understand leverage, and this goes for Cole and, and Cleveland as well, you can see him start to drive guys off the ball, play with some confidence, and, and you know really just physically dominant. You can really see that mental aspect of he they, they're feeling it, and they are just dominating a guy, and they're just firing off the ball and attacking and, uh, you know, kicking a bunch of ass. It's really fun to see the interior offensive line kick ass, especially on combo blocks where, you know, that starts as a double team and then one person comes off the double team and climbs to the second level. Usually that means the other guy has to reach block. It's sort of Garrett Bradbury's claim to fame. So obviously we love being able to do that again. Couldn't really do as much of that with Mason Cole. Um, I, at least by my eye, I didn't hurt it or anything like that. But it seemed like they were doing a lot less of that, and it seemed like that was hurting the run game. So that's back. And then, of course, you know, Dallin puts up 200 yards on a bum shoulder. That rocks. Um, all of this is really working out well. I, I, I like this configuration. That's the, the point of this episode. I like this configuration. Ezra Cleveland at left guard might be working out. He might be playing to a level where we actually say, hey, this could be a future here. Garrett Bradbury, maybe he's too poisoned, maybe he's too tainted. It probably takes more than a couple of games to win everybody over, including the Vikings, who like benched him. 
Um, and then Mason Cole probably takes more than two games as well because you've got a small sample problem here. But if these guys can play this way throughout the rest of the season, make the playoffs or no, obviously that's going to change a lot of stuff. But if they're coming off this seven-game stretch of super, super hot play, and that I, I admit that I'm like adding four games to that. <laughs> so like, yeah, if the next four games are there, it'll probably be driven by those four games, right? But if they can do that, if they can keep this level of play up, rebuild or not, you got an interior offensive line and, and starting things off in the train. You, know, you have a whole offensive line, honestly, because you have Darrison and O'Neill. Those guys are fixtures. If you just have an offensive line here, then that's a big bugaboo for the Vikings. That's that's suddenly with Kirk Cousins or with somebody else is a really, really great launching point. So uh, tomorrow is crossover Thursday. We're going to talk to Lauren Cox of Locked On Bears. And then we'll we'll preview the Bears a little bit on Friday. We'll preview the Bears a little bit more on Monday morning before the Monday night game. So make sure you listen to that. We'll, we'll talk. I don't know. We'll figure out some something to do there. Um, and then, of course, on Tuesday, we'll wrap the game. And uh, probably no Twitter Tuesday next week. But we'll uh, we'll get it all there. And we'll get your bold predictions. Don't you forget those. So uh, start thinking about those. We'll, we'll get all that stuff um, wrapped up tomorrow for the Friday show, but tomorrow's crossover Thursday. Check that out. Check out Locked On Bets with your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. That gets your grambles straight. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.